Hello, everybody. It is Good Friday today. It is one of my favorite days for church service. I know that seems a bit morbid, but I love every year our Good Friday service. I did get somebody ask me yesterday, why is it called Good Friday? And you're always kind of like, oh, because, you know, it was the beginning of something really good. <laughs> the good news, a good gospel, like good comes out of it. It does seem odd, though, doesn't it, that we call Friday Good Friday? I was looking up this morning, some devotions about Good Friday, verses about Good Friday, just reading about Good Friday, trying to decide what I really wanted to talk about today with you because, I'll be honest, I could probably get up and just talk about a lot of different topics. None of it may make sense. It may not be overly meaningful, but I don't have a fear of like talking. But if you were to ask me, hey, can you come and talk to us about Easter or about Good Friday? I'm like, um, I don't know. That one actually kind of puts a discomfort in me. I'm like, it's so big. It's so important. I have such deep feelings and thoughts about it. While also at the same time, it also becomes so familiar that at times we don't have such deep thoughts about it. Like, yeah, no, we know what this day is. This is how we celebrate. But to really sit, to be still, to really think about it and let it really captivate our hearts and to meditate on it, I'm not always very good about that. So I have this like weird conundrum in me like, oh, it's so important and there's so much to say. And yet, I don't know what I would say. If somebody asked you to talk to them about Easter and why is Easter so important and why is Good Friday so important, you'd probably be able to give them kind of the basics, right? But how deeply do you feel it? It's so hard being so removed from the actual event. Like, how deeply do we feel it? It has such implications for eternity, for this life that we have now and also in the not yet. It has such implications for the spiritual realm, all the things going on, the spiritual battle, everything. It is so big that it can feel daunting to me to just explain it, to be, to do it justice. There's just so much, and yet it's just so simple in its profoundness. We've been talking the last two weeks about living selflessly in the light of eternity with a worldview that is very much other, the eternal perspective. And what a better way to kind of tie that into the eternal perspective that is this weekend. To take this opportunity to reflect, to really think about what this big profound weekend of Christianity, what these celebrations actually mean and to meditate on them. And how does that affect me? How does that affect how I think, how I live? what I believe, how I act, all of the things. What does it look like in my life? What is it speaking to my heart? Around the world today, Good Friday is known as many other things. It's known as Holy Friday, Morning Friday, Silent Friday, High Friday, Sorrowful. Rumor has it, it may have been originally called God's Friday and eventually turned into Good Friday here. I don't know if that's actually the case, but in Denmark, it's called Long Friday. I think that seems very fitting because I think if we were living in that time, by the end of that day, it would have felt so long. Think about all of the events leading up to that day. An oppressed people 
hoping, praying, waiting for a savior that's been prophesied. Like one day it's going to be better. I think we can probably relate to that feeling, right? Someday the Lord's going to come. We're still waiting and it's going to get better, right? That second coming. They're waiting. They're oppressed. He's come. They believe Jesus to be the son of God and they think he's going to rescue them and he's going to take out Rome and he's going to be this military leader and he's going to save them from their oppression. It's always interesting, the pictures that we paint and then what God actually does, right? His ways are definitely higher than our ways and they are definitely very different a lot of times. He goes from being what they believed was going to be this mighty shift in ruling, right? That there's going to be this shift in military power, that they're going to be saved. And he's teaching and he's performing wonders and miracles and signs. They're like, truly, this is the son of God. And then we come to his trials. He's tried three times by the Jewish courts, three times by the Romans, tried and tried and tried a man that is blameless, a man that is sinless. Talk about a great injustice. All the hope that the people had, they put in this one man and then they watched him die. It's dark for three hours. Put yourself there. Think about the picture and the day of Good Friday. I believe that we were created for drama as mankind, as a people. We were created to seek and to long for drama. We just get ourselves all wrapped up in the drama of this world and the things around us. And if we can't find some drama to be wrapped up in, sometimes we make it. There is this desire deep inside of us for something big, for something tangled, for something awesome, for something huge, for something dramatic. We live and relive these big dramatic parts of our lives, right? These big events, the weddings, the birth of our children. Think about all of the movies about like football game or the basketball game where the quarterback wins it at the last second. It's this huge comeback story. The drama. It's these feel-good stories. We like the drama. Come on, Marvel, the Avengers right now. So much drama. And we get wrapped into it because who doesn't like this triumphal story? Think about the scene on earth at the time of Jesus. The drama. People are like, this is our guy. We're going to follow him. We're going to learn from him. We're going to get healed from him. We're going to chase him around town. Everybody's talking about it. Like the buzz is on. And then he gets crucified. And you're like, wait, how can this be? I can only imagine the sorrow, the talk, the chatter, the drama after that. The arguing, even among the people potentially that were part of the process that tried him. Think about the drama surrounding this weekend of Good Friday, of Easter, this holy week, of all of the events. Not only was the drama in confusion and hurt and anger, but it's now dark for three hours. Things are getting a little scary. You're looking around going, okay, even the earth creation is wrapped up in this. The drama and the pain of watching him die, horrible death. And then the earthquakes, and then a veil, which is enormous, and it is thick. It tears from the top down. Matthew 27 says that, and the tombs were opened, and the saints that had died previously come out and show themselves to people at the temple. 
Now, I don't know if that is literal or if that is symbolic, if that's a literary device to show you how chaotic and crazy things were. But the centurion in Matthew 27, when he saw all of this, all the drama, all the things, he was filled with awe and says, truly, this was the son of God. The drama of that day. Picture it. This is like the most epic story, adventure story, the Avengers. I would love to see a dramatic like rendering of this. Now, The Passion of the Christ. I haven't seen it for a long time. I plan on watching it tonight. I feel like my kids are old enough and at the right ages. It's time for them to see it. And I remember seeing it the first time and being broken. I remember crying at the movie theater. It's the right time. It is a good day to be broken, to be humbled by what sacrifice Jesus took on for us, that he went through so much pain, that there was so much drama, that a battle for the hearts and souls of mankind begins and ends on this day. Without reflecting on Good Friday and being still on the gravity and the pain of that day and all the horrible things that happened, the confusion that the world at the time was in, that all of Jerusalem, that his followers were feeling and seeing, think about what that really could be like. And then to go home and to sit and wait for a few days. I can't imagine the grief in the morning and the confusion, especially for those disciples that have followed and have spoken, been part of his life and been taught and have been told these prophecies. It just wasn't looking like what they were expecting. Does that resonate with you at all? I know it does with me. Time and time again, the working of God that doesn't look like what I was expecting it to look like. Perspective is key and perspective is huge. And I I tell my kids, I tell my friends, like it's just perspective is so important and we really don't get perspective without contrast. I've talked about it on here before in the middle of winter when you're freezing outside and you're outside doing chores and then you come in and it's warm. You go, oh. Yes, I forget how good the warmth feels, unless you've been out in the cold. The same in the summer and the heat. Ugh, I hate the heat. (laughs) I don't do well in heat. And you walk into air conditioning, it's like your body, you're just able to go, oh, yes, I forget how great it feels to be cooled off. It's in the contrast that we have perspective. And the contrast and the difference between the day of Christ's death and the celebration of his resurrection is huge. And you talk about drama and a victory story, a feel-good story on Easter Sunday when we find out that death could not hold him. Matthew says, it's impossible for death to hold him. I love that line. He's fully God. It was impossible for death to keep him. I don't want to get ahead of us and get to Easter, even though Easter is fun. It is exciting. It is the pivotal celebration of the faith of Christianity. Read 1 Corinthians 15 today. If Christ didn't resurrect, then we have no hope for this life. We have no hope for afterlife. We are the most to be pitied if Jesus Christ didn't truly raise from the dead. Praise God that he did, that there are eyewitnesses, that Jesus came back and he spoke with people and he walked with people that he gives us the Holy Spirit to go on in this life with him until we get to live in this next life aside of him. 
As you're preparing your heart for Easter, I want us to sit here a little bit more at Good Friday to think about the gravity of what has just happened and what the world is feeling, what it is going through, and to sit there and meditate on what that is. What does that mean for us? I want to read to you as we close part of a devotion from Good Friday from, by Paul Tripp. Gotta love that guy. He has an eight-day Holy Week devotion that's out called Palm Branches, Thorns, and the Empty Tomb. You can go to his website. You can download it. It's free. I'm giving him all the credit in the world because it's amazing and because I'm going to read it. <laughs> so I think that's allowed. I guess I'm not entirely positive. Paul, if you're listening, which you're not, I fully acknowledge this to be your work and your words about Good Friday. The moment of sadness welcomed us to eternal joy of heart and life. The capture and death of Christ purchased for us life and freedom. The very worst thing that could happen was at the very same time, the very best thing that could happen. Only God is able to do such a thing. The same God who planned that the worst thing would be the best thing is your Father. He rules over every moment in your life, and in powerful grace, he is able to do for you just what he did in redemptive history. He takes the disasters in your life and makes them tools of redemption. He takes your failure and employs it as a tool of grace. He uses the death of the fallen world to motivate you to reach out for life. The hardest things in your life become the sweetest tools of grace in his wise and loving hands. So be careful how you make sense of your life. What looks like a disaster may in fact be grace. What looks like the end may be the beginning. What looks hopeless may be God's instrument to give you real and lasting hope. Your father is committed to taking what seems so bad and turning it into something that is very, very 